Welcome to The Brandy Show, Conversations With. The idea for this type of show came from the very concept of podcasts. They're available to anyone at any time since they stay posted on the internet portal indefinitely. Podcasts that are time-sensitive, that deal with issues of the day, are fine. But after a month or so, they can be out of date. Taking advantage of the technology, it made sense to me to create a program podcast that would last. It's as current the day it is posted to six months or a year from now. So I hope you like our series conversations with. Thanks for stopping by. My conversation today is with my football teammate at Michigan and Highland Park, Michigan native, Reggie McKenzie. Reggie's pro football career included being one of the prime players in the historic run to 2,000 yards rushing in a 14-game NFL season by O.J. Simpson back when that was thought to be impossible. His journey through Michigan football and Bo Schembechler's life lessons has molded Reggie into an amazing success story. He's a Michigan Sports Hall of Famer and the winner of the Big Ten's Ford Kinnick Leadership Award. Interesting and inspirational. Here's my conversation with Reggie McKenzie. Highland Park High School, and you go to the University of Michigan, and then you go to the Buffalo Bills, you play football, you get in all these halls of fame. Did you see that coming when you were a kid in Highland Park? No. <laughs> no, no. I, I, hardly. I, and, and I look back now, and um, one of the greatest things that happened, I'm, one, number one, just going to Highland Park. You know, I mean, we came out, we could swim. Where in the kids in Detroit, they could didn't we start swimming in the third grade, you know, and we had uh, swimming teachers, Mr. McMillan, and he was a coach. He was one of the football coaches, and a lot of times kids would come over to transfer from Detroit, and they they come over to Highland Park, and you had to take swimming, and we started in the third grade swimming. So, and I think about the fifth or sixth grade, it was a couple guys that would came over from uh, from Detroit, and we were in swim class. So Mr. Lyco said, everybody, we're going to swim a, uh, Ms. McMillan said, we're going to swim a, uh, a width. So you swim a width, and you come back, go forward, come back, and then some guys wouldn't jump, wouldn't go in. So Mr. Coach McMillan went over and said, go on, he said, I got you, just go in there. And he said, no. Picked him up, threw him in. <laughs> <laughs> he swam to the side. He said, "You see, you you you, learned, you, you, can, you can swim. You then become an athlete, but then you get recruited to go play football at Michigan." Now, you and I have talked about this. You and I both were kind of like looking at Central Michigan and Western Michigan, and all of a sudden, here comes the University of Michigan, and uh, you and I both teammates, same year. I was kind of going, "Why are they recruiting me?" And you said pretty much the same thing with George Mans. Well, George Mans came in. I'll never forget. Because I was, you know, it, I was going to Western. You know, I mean, they had the uh, the, the big hamburgers up there. And I forget what they called them, Doolittle Burgers or something. And George Mans, my mother, told her doctor, her gynecologist, Dr. Levine, George Mans, by the way, was an assistant coach at Michigan, recruiting Highland Park. Recruiting Detroit. He had, he had the Detroit guys. He got a Trenton. And uh, my mother told Dr. Levine that Michigan State was recruiting me, which at the time they, they were, and Western Michigan, and she had, had a couple other schools in Nebraska. So, she said, so Dr. Levine said, well, is Michigan called him? She said, I don't know. 
I don't think so. So Dr. Levine called and wrote a letter to uh, Bump Elliott, who was the head coach at the University of Michigan, talking about me. So Bump sent George down to, uh, to, 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 to watch some film and at the same time to watch me wrestle. So Al Rowe, Al Rowe, that's his name, and R-O-W-E. He was, a, he was a football coach, and his first name was Al. And I'll never forget, we we'd watched film earlier that day, uh, George Mans and Jim Bobbitt, who was, the, who was uh, also the coach. And um, Al, coach, coach Rowe, was the wrestling coach. And I'll never forget, because I, I wrestled heavyweight. And um, Coach Rowe says to me, he says, Reggie, he says, uh, this guy is here to look at you from the University of Michigan. And he says, I don't care if you win. Just go destroy him. And he said, show him that you can, you, you're tough. And then when you when they in, in high school and they wrestle the referee goes wrestle, and he went wrestle and I took off and went. I hit him right in the mouth, <laughs> picked him up, threw him down. The place went nuts, and uh, uh, end up I end up losing, but. The guy they had to take the guy off the mat <laughs> to, the, to the hospital, and George Mans went. If he'll do that without any equipment, imagine what he'll do if we put a helmet on it. And that's when that the, he came and George Mans says, "Reggie, I'm George Mans from the University of Michigan, and we want you." And that just that statement there, when he said, "We want you," meant the world. And Jim Bobbitt was your high school football coach, and you and I talked about this. He actually played football at Michigan State with my with brother. With your brother, yeah. And, yeah. and Jim Bobbitt was one of the guys that said, hey, you go to Michigan and everything happens for you. And he's a Michigan State guy. I thought that was great of him to do that. Well, you know, he, he, was, cause he, was, he, got, he was pissed at Michigan State. Because I can't think of the coach's name. He's, Duffy Doherty? Well, Duffy wasn't, Duffy wasn't recruiting me. Right. He sent, I forget who he sent down. And he said, I wasn't a football player. He says, oh, he can't play. And then Jim Bobbitt says to him, I forget his name. And he says, you know, if I didn't think he could play, I wouldn't have called you to come down here. And two days later, that's when George Mans came in and said, Reggie, I'm George Mans from the University of Michigan, and we want you. And you and I became teammates, <laughs> even though we didn't know it at the time. Right. Uh, the other thing about you, and it's a great story. We've talked about it before, is you and I had common enemies when we got to Michigan. Uh, we were freshmen together, and our freshman coach. Wild Bill Dodd. Wild Bill Dodd. And if you and I... <laughs> would have had a gun. We'd have been fighting for it. Who could have killed him first? Because he ran us like crazy and forced us. He was pushing us to he pushing us to kind of say, hey, if you can't take it, get out of the you know, yeah, get out. Yeah. And yeah. and you tell a great story about how frustrated and disappointed and upset you were as a high school, a freshman in college going, I don't know whether I want to do this anymore. Tell us about how your family got you back. Well, 
what what people don't realize when we were freshmen, we couldn't we were ineligible to play. So we played two games, and we played Toledo. And Bowling, uh, Green. and Bowling Green. But what people realize, we practiced for four months <laughs> and only had two games. And we had, uh, what do they call it, the, 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 uh, the, the games? Uh, oh, on Monday? On, two, on Monday. The, the toilet bowl. Toilet bowl. And, and that was the only thing we, we did. And um, so then our sophomore year, we had Wild Bill Dodd and, and Bump Elliott was the head coach of the varsity. And in going to our sophomore year, they hire Bo Schimbeckler. And this guy was nuts, too. And we just, our, our sophomore year, and, and he, would, he would tell us to our face he hated sophomores. And the first spring ball, he put us through a physical and mental uh Gymnastics that none of us, very few of us, could uh, survive, and, and 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 but we survived, and 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 I think what happened, Brand Center, is that we as a as a group, because he, he thought he was going to run us out, he thought he was going to run a bunch of people away, and early on, I think a couple guys did quit, but after a while, we were determined because he didn't recruit us. We were determined to show him that we are not going to let you beat us down. That's exactly the point. And your sister was in, uh, was very important in getting that message home to you when you at one time were a little bit disappointed. Well, towards, towards the uh, end of my, my sophomore year, because everybody, guys were playing. And we hadn't played. And you we had played, sophomores, right. We, we, had, we hadn't played. We'd been starting our high school careers. We'd started every game, and now all of a sudden we're not. We're watching. We, we, you're right. We're watching. And, and, then, and then he, I mean, he, he just talked bad to us. <laughs> and so I went. You're being kind. I'm going, you know, I don't have to take this. <clears throat> and I'll never forget, it was after one ball game. We're walking up the tunnel. And uh, my mother and my sister Janetta, who is not with us anymore, she's in, she's in glory. And I said, Mama, I don't know how much more I can take from this guy. I said, he, there's something about me he don't like, and I really don't care a whole lot about him. And so I'm thinking about leaving. And my sister Janetta said, Mackenzie's don't quit. And that was the last time in my life, leading up to now, that I ever mention the word quitting. I never I never said it again because I, I it, it stays in my mind what my sister Janata said when she said McKenzie's don't quit. And that was the end of our sophomore year. And then my our junior year, we started playing. And uh we learned how to beat him. Was just do it right every time, all the time. The first time and he he couldn't say anything to you. And those lessons we taught, we didn't like him very much, and yet we became probably as close to him after we graduated than any other class because we took those lessons with us our entire careers. You still work yeah. know, with those lessons in your business today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. the, 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 the one thing that I, I, I tell people this all the time, that I took away from Bo was to do it right every time, all the time, the first time. 
And that way he couldn't say anything to you. But the most important thing is that if you carry it over into life, it works. It works, and uh, you just go, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And you carried it over when you went on to the National Football League. Uh, You went to the Buffalo Bills, and they had a back named O.J. Simpson, who was the number one draft pick and the greatest running back of all time coming out of Southern California. And you're going to the offensive line as this young, wet-behind-the-ears rookie. And uh, he's gaining a bunch of yards. Uh, only a 14-game schedule. And there's talk of maybe doing something a little bit more than that. And you, as this rookie second-year guy, says, hey, let's shoot for the moon. Tell us about that whole thing with your <laughs> offensive line and OJ and that quest for 2,000 yards you, in a season. You know what's interesting? And, and I go back to Michigan. Well, we set goals. Every game we set goals. How many yards we wanted to rush for, we had a a minimum. And it really helped me as a player because now you're out there, not only are you just playing football, but you're out there trying to accomplish and make sure you're doing the things that you have to do to win. And part of that was do it right every time, all the time, the first time. And then once you learn that, and then you've set goals to, you know, I forget that we wanted 200 yards, 150 yards rushing, and that was the goal that we set. And then we wanted to average so many yards a carry. That was a goal that we set. And all those things, after those three years up in Ann Arbor at, at, at Michigan, carried over to when I went to to Buffalo. And uh, I just had the attitude that I was going to win every time, all the time, the first time. And a lot of guys didn't have that attitude. And it took me some time to understand, hey, man, you just came from Michigan, where they do things like that. And some of these guys didn't have that, and I had it. But the one thing that I <clears throat> that I loved was the game. And once I came from the college all star game to back to Buffalo, and then we had practice in Old War Memorial Stadium, and we practiced at Niagara, Niagara University. And the first ball game we had, we back then we played six preseason games. And I don't know if O.J. played in the first one. I think he did. And I saw him take the ball and run and make a make a move that, and I go, wait a minute. And this guy, and, and then I saw him outrun people. And I went, this guy is special. And it took me some time to, you know, to get with him. And we would get together. And... When we had practice, before practice, we had offense and defense. You have offense meeting and defense meeting. And uh, it was it was unbelievable that, that first year, just uh, watching him run and going, man, I cannot believe that this guy back here it can do what he can do. Quick story. We're playing Cleveland, in Cleveland. 
And I think it was back then we played 16 preseason, I mean 14 regular season games. And I think it was either maybe the eighth or the ninth ball, uh, game. Might be later than that because it was, it was cold. And after the ball game, that's when Kirk Gowdy was doing NBC and they were doing the, a- they were doing the AFC back then. That was NBC station. And after the ball game, after we, we, and we lost to Cleveland, we were in the locker room, and O.J. was going back out. And I said, hey, man, what's, what's going on? Are you okay? And he had his shoulder pads on. He says, oh, no, Kirk Gowdy didn't want to talk to me because I, I went over 1,000 yards. I saw you did that before. He said, no. He said, no, this is the first time. And I looked at him. I see you kidding me. He said, no, man, this was 1972. He said, no, man, this is the first time I've been over, ever went over a 1,000 yards. And I said, hey, man, I apologize for the offensive lineman that didn't realize what what you got. And uh, that's when it started. It started after that ball game, and I could not believe he hadn't gained a 1,000 yards. But the number... 2000, he may not have been thinking about it, but it was in your mind, wasn't it? It was 2000 came about. I went out to L.A. and I, I stayed with O.J. probably about two weeks. And I'm thinking about what we can do, because once again, you know, we sat in goals, you know, something to learn in Michigan. So I go 1500. I say he got a thousand yards and literally no blocking. I said, just imagine if he gets some blocking. And then this went on and on. And then uh, we would talk. I said, hey, man, I got it. Two grand. He said, oh, no, 1500 I said, no, let's go do something nobody's ever done before. And the thing is, Reggie, this is what's great. Think about the time. Back then, it's 14 games. Saying 2,000 yards in a season, that's like passing Babe Ruth in the home run right <laughs> That's not even imaginable. What in your brain said to you, this guy can get 2,000? Well, I, you know, we, we had talked about it the whole offseason. He, he had talked about 1,500, and I said, no, man, let's, let's go get something. Let's go do, go do two grand. And I said to the offensive line, we picked up Mike Mottler and another guy named Halver Hagen, and uh, we drafted Joe D. And that was in 1973 in the first Joe, round. Joe, Joe DeLamalier yeah, from Michigan State. Right. And we traded for Paul Seymour. Big Paul. We tra- traded for Paul Seymour and because uh, he was with Pittsburgh. So before the first regular season game, we were together as a group, as an offensive line. And I said, uh, fellas, I went out on the line. I went out on went out on the hook and said OJ was gonna get two thousand yards. And I said, I, I I'm just letting you guys know that I said it and you know, I think it's a goal that we could kind of maybe get close to, if not cover, because I think this guy can do it. And what year were you in your league? The guys were older on the offensive line than you. You were like third year? No, no, that that was uh, my second year in the league. So that, guys, was, that was that's 1973. We had no. I tell you who we had. We had we had picked up Mike Mahler. Joe D was uh, uh, young. He's a rookie. 
we had Donnie Green, and then we had Paul Seymour. Which played with you same year. Right. And then uh, my tackle was Dave Foley from Big, Ohio State. From Ohio State, great player. Yeah, yeah. But you were the young, one of the younger guys. You weren't the – but you took it on yourself to say, hey, guys, this is what we're going to do. Well, that's what we did. You know, that's, well, that's what, what you did. That, well, that's what, what I say we – I was talking about it in Michigan. You know, talking about leaders and best in the whole thing. And I, I jumped out and said, hey, and Mike Mahler, I'll never forget. Because we had just picked him up. We had – other than Donnie Green and – who was the center? Bruce Jarvis. They were the only two guys – who stayed over from the previous teams. And we, we picked up Dave Foley off the waiver wire. We traded for Paul Seymour. We had we drafted Joe D. I'm the second-year guy at left guard. And then we, we, we got Bruce Jarvis, who was at center. And, uh, and, and that's the group that we had. That's the group that we started with. <clears throat> Quick story. So we go through the preseason. Then we open up in Boston because they were the Boston Patriots at the time. O.J. runs for 250 yards, opening day. So now <laughs> it's on. It's on. It's on. We he come back and we play. Philadelphia Eagles, Mike McCormick is the coach. He gets 166 the second ball game. We go out to San Diego, and we play out there. He gets 125 or something. So we we, we, we go on. And people have to realize, at this point, he is a marked man. Oh, yeah. Every defensive coordinator you're playing is figuring out, how do we stop this guy? I got, we we got a young quarterback named Joe Ferguson sitting there waiting. We got Dennis Shaw, who's the quarterback. And Lou Saban is the coach. We play, we're going into the seventh game. And in, in in Buffalo, and the wind, the weather gets bad. The wind swirls. <clears throat> so Lou Saban, before the ball game, Lou Saban says, and we playing Cincinnati. Paul Brown. Lou Saban says to uh, Dennis Shaw, "Whatever you do, don't throw the football." <laughs> Sounds like Shem Beckler. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't throw the football. So we played the first half, and it's win and the whole thing. Second half come up, and it's, and it's a it's a it's a seven seven ten seven kind of a score. OJ's running the ball pretty decent, but they got the defense, and they kind of you know keeping him keeping him uh, keeping him corralled a little bit. So they 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 really playing for the run. They playing all the guys that linebackers up close, all the guys up close. So Dennis Shaw comes out and he sees that they're in man to man coverage. <clears throat> we got JD Hill on one side, on one side, and Haven Moses on the other. Dennis comes up to the line of scrimmage, 
And for automatic, you just use the, the play count. And he says, 159, 159, which meant an automatic, and we're going to throw a go. You heard on from our sideline, you heard, oh, no. <laughs> that was loose. <laughs> Dennis Shaw goes back to pass, and he throws to J.D. Hill. The wind catches it, and it goes end over end. Lou Saban met Dennis Shaw on the 40-yard line. <laughs> J.D. and I standing on the sideline. Lou met him before he hit the sideline. And Lou says, you're done. You're finished. You're through. Get out of here. And then he says, come on, young fella. And that was Joe Ferguson. And that's when he started his and career. And that's when he started his career. At, at uh, Buffalo. At, at Buffalo. And, and, and that year you got the 2,000 yards for O.J. in a 14-game schedule. Unheard of. Right. First time ever in history. Right. What was the accomplishment like for all of you guys? O.J. was great because he did, you know, despite what has happened to O.J. since, he really gave you guys a lot of the credit. Well, the, the thing of it is, when he came there, he came with a lot of accolades. But he didn't have any blocking. He didn't have guys up front who cared. And I was the first guy, offensive lineman, that he had been around to, to have the attitude that I had and thought about what he could do when, when we run the football. And as time went on, the confidence of everybody went sky high because all Joe had to do was dink and dunk. Joe Ferguson, that is. And then we could give it to OJ because he could, he used to say, I got to have it at least 20 to 25 times so I can you know, get a feel as to what we could do. And what a lot of people wasn't aware of was that he always watched who tackled him. I said, uh, how did you know to cut back? He said, remember we ran that play over to the right in the first quarter? He said, yeah. He said, well, the guy who was on the left side was over on the right side tackling me, so that meant wasn't nobody on the left side. And he said, and he would often do this. He would come back and huddle and say to Joe, we got to run that play again maybe next series. And we did, and, and he cut back. And he had speed. He ran 4-4 in the 40. He had speed. And once people started going this way, and he cut back. And he wasn't no small guy, 210 pounds. <clears throat> and he cut back. And with that speed, and he would drop the football stride and break into a track stride. And it would just take off. And he was over. And it was gone. And he was gone. And there wasn't nobody going to catch it. And it, it was just it was just a lot of fun, man. We had a lot of fun. And um, it got to the point where we, they knew what we were going to run. They just couldn't stop us. And that's how our confidence became, you know, so much. And uh, it, was, it, was, it, was just, uh, it was just great. Uh, your football prowess and your football exploits took you to the Bills Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame, uh, Michigan Sports Hall of Fame. But more than anything, Reggie, and this is where I wanted to go, you as a young man wanted to do something more than just play football. You wanted to give something back to your community. You started the Reggie McKenzie Foundation, which I would say in the last 20 years has been maybe more of your signature than your playing days. 
Well, you know, the, 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 the one thing that, and one of the reasons I started the football camp is because, you know, I didn't have anybody to come back and, and do that. And so I, when, I, when I started, I said, you know, I'm going I'm to come show them the things that I needed to know to be able to get to the University of Michigan. And you were just a 24-year-old kid when you started this camp. Yeah. This wasn't yeah, something you did yeah. after your career was over. You had this idea when you were 24 years old. That's you pretty know, impressive. What, what, where it came from was my working for the rec department in the summer. I used to move the fun wagons. Oh, no, somebody outside. Oh, yeah. uh, I used to move the fun wagons, pull the fun wagons, hook them up and set them up in the street so the kids could play. I did that, and I did, uh, 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 we had a little track meet with all of the all of the different recreation departments. We would meet and meet at uh, Metropolitan Park, and, I mean, Kensington Park, and, and have races. And so I was kind of prepared from working and those kinds of things through the rec department and how to organize something like that. And I just said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. But you took it to another level in the sense that you, for underprivileged kids, inner city kids in the Highland Park area, you brought back NFL players, which they could look up to. I mean, stars in their eyes. And, and that's, I think, the hook that got parents and the kids, and you've grown that from those football camps in 1974 on a dusty field in Highland Park. You know, and, and I, I, and I want to say Ford Motor Company, Bob Brewery. This was the guy that heard me on the radio. He heard me on the uh, uh, J.P. McCarthy show. And he got in contact with me. And he says, and what he was looking at was the young man down the road, 10 years down the road. He says, that's our market. You know, we need to help our market. And this guy is talking about having these guys go to college and, and, and play football and all of that. And he said, and eventually they're going to have to buy a car. And so Ford Motor Company for more than 20 years, you know, got behind uh, the Reggie McKenzie Foundation. And Ford did a great job. But corporate sponsorship is vital in this kind of oh, a thing. Oh, yeah. But but your idea too, and and this you've said this. We when we started this out, I was working at Channel Four, and you were starting this thing out. You had a line that I thought was perfect, and I want you to expand on it. Using athletics as a vehicle, right, to take kids to a different level than they ever thought. But you took away athletics, and that was something they said. I don't want that to go away. But you said in order to get to athletics. You got to study. You right. got to hit the books. This was way beyond, and a, I think ahead of your time, to use the carrot, and that carrot ultimately helps these kids as they go through life. Well, one of the one of the things that that uh, you know, I mean, I, I just looked at it in terms of the vehicle of sports, and uh, probably one of the, one of the guys that was a hero to me was Bobby Joe Hill. You know, who won, uh, who beat uh, Kentucky in 1966, and he was from Highland Park. And uh, that was, you know, kind of like the inspiration, you know, for me and a lot of other guys. And the one thing that I saw was that, number one, you had to like it. You had to like playing football. 
and if you wasn't ready to do the right things, and then once again, that's just all the stuff that I learned getting to that point, particularly coming out of Michigan, um, then I would tell you to leave because I don't, I didn't want anybody out there that didn't want to be there. Because you gotta want to be there, you gotta like it. It's just, it's that's just the way it is. <clears throat> and sometimes I would tell them, hey, man, you can go. You know, I have 150, 200 kids out there, and you one of them want to act a clown? No, you can leave. Sit on the side. Braylon Edwards was one of them. <laughs> Tough love. Yeah. And so um, that was the thing. And we started at 74. But the, the big thing was when we started the tutorial program. I was going to say, that's my next question. You actually grew the athletic thing, and the next step was education. And you went there as fast as you could. We, Lambda Pi Omega, AKAs. The one thing that we stress, if you can't read, you can't be successful. And we made sure that they were fundamentally sound, and, and, and particularly our kids. And what we did, we prepared them, showed them how to take the SAT test, because in many cases that was the stumbling block. You know, they would fail, fail the SAT test and, you know, they couldn't maybe get in school. But if you were trained them to take the test and give them maybe a better chance in, in, in succeeding, um, we win. And we started winning. And we started winning over and over. And, and But the, the big thing was a lot of the other kids saw what was happening to the guys ahead of them, and they were getting scholarships. The other thing you did during the Reggie McKenzie football camps is you had a session called Tell It Like Tell It Is. Tell It Like It Is, yeah. And, and you didn't pull any punches. These guys didn't pull any punches. You're talking about guys selling drugs on their street corners right outside of their house. And some of the guys that you brought in said, yeah, I grew up in that neighborhood. I had the same thing when I was growing up in Oklahoma City. And these kids that are sitting there listening to these guys saying, hey, I'm not alone. And they made it out. So can I. I thought that was a great piece to that whole program. That was another idea of yours. And you didn't pull any punches. You told your guys not to pull any punches, no, didn't you? No, you know, you, you bring guys in like Pepper Johnson. And kids aren't stupid. And they La- know this. Yeah, Lawrence Taylor, you know, Glenn Dowdy, Mike Taylor, Tom Darden. You talking about guys, they watching on Sunday at the camp. Now, and, and I would say to them, only a fool wouldn't listen to Lawrence Taylor. Only a fool wouldn't listen to uh, Jerome Bettis. I mean, they, they, they've been there. They probably can tell you a couple things that will help you down the road. Uh, only a fool wouldn't listen to Pepper Johnson, who at one time ran the cab. And after a while, it sunk in. I wish I could tell you how many times I've been out and some young man come up to me and say, hey, man, it's cause of you. I said, what? I, one guy last week, he said, hey, man, it's cause of you. He said, it, not just me. He said, but my brother, the guy down the street, he said, you were the reason why we stayed out of jail. Because they knew that 
I didn't play. Once again, I go back to that. If you don't want to do it right, leave. And after a while, it it it, it really sunk in. And and when the other young people started seeing guys have success. They went, wait a minute, maybe that could be me. And ultimately, down the road, it was. You saved a lot of kids. A lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of them. A lot of them. And you got to be proud because not only are there guys that have gone on to play professional football from that camp, Jerome Bettis, who went on to a great career in Pittsburgh and, of course, was a guy that took over for you as the director of the football camp, but now you've got guys in management positions at Ford Motor Company right. and, at, and right. at different places in the business world, which you point out is just as big and just as important as going to the NFL. Well, you know, the, 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 the most important thing is the discipline. The do it right, do it the first time, every time, all the time. And in life... That applies too, and uh, you know some some people get it and some people don't. The, the, the good news is that most of them got it, and uh, the, the, the even better news is we're still doing it. We're writing down to the end. I want to talk to you about you won the 2016 Ford Kinnick Leadership Award from the Big Ten Conference, and you were delighted because it was named after Gerald Ford. And when you were a kid playing football, you actually spent some time with the president, didn't you? You know, I was. Uh, in Buffalo, I was working for the Stadler Hilton, and that was around the time, you know, believe it or not, when uh, Richard Nixon was going through his thing with Watergate, and they it looked as if Gerald Ford, who had been put as pre- vice president, um, because they got rid of. Uh, who was who was the uh, Nixon's Spiro Agnew? They got rid of Spiro and Gerald Ford because I think he was Speaker of the House at the time and <clears throat> became VP. And one of the things he he had to do because they saw the end of Nixon coming up was that he started visiting places around the country, and he happened to come to Buffalo, and. I said to the people who worked at the Stadler Hilton, you know, I was, uh, I did the Washington, D.C. Touchdown Club uh, banquet. And I, I met Gerald Ford there, and we talked a little bit. We talked, as a matter of fact, the quarterback from um, Grand Rapids that played in Michigan. Uh, Kevin Casey? Kevin Casey. He asked me, he said, well, what, what happened with Casey? I said, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, you know, I said, Casey just couldn't get through. You know that whole that the, 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 the growling and all uh-huh. of that. He didn't he didn't understand it, and that so so it affected him. So he said, "Yeah," I said, "Yeah," I said, "But uh, you know everything's you know going good." I said, "It's a pleasure to meet you." You know, I know you, Michigan man. Da da da. He said, "Yeah, Reggie." He said, "Man, I really love to talk to you, but I got I said, "I understand." So fast forward. We go, I, 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 I leave him, and, and, and he's traveling around the country. So he's coming to Buffalo. This had been 76, 1976. And he's coming to Buffalo. I'm working for the Statler Hilton. And I tell the people at the hotel, you know, I met him. As a matter of fact, spent some time talking to him. I said, so, 
you know, we kind of know each other. Plus, we're Michigan men. Well, unbeknownst to me, he's coming to Buffalo, so he remembered that I was in Buffalo. Lo and behold, he's, I'm working for the Staten Hill. He's staying at the Staten Hill. So I'm telling the the, the 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 other people who I'm working with that you know that I know him, and they getting briefed by Secret Service, but they ain't saying nothing to me. <laughs> and so I get pissed off and I leave. So I went home. I think I may have drank a couple beers. And then I come back, and I walk in the door. And Johnny Towns go, Reggie, where you been? The, the, the president, the vice president been looking for you. Now. I said, I tried to tell you guys that I knew the guy, and plus he's a Michigan guy. Well, we, so anyway, make a long story short. He says, well, he's upstairs, and, 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 and they told me as soon as you came in, take, take you up there. We get ready, we go on the mezzanine, hit the elevator button, I mean, the yeah, the elevator button. The door opens. There's Gerald Ford. He goes, Reggie, <laughs> Mr. President, how you doing? They moved Johnny Townsend out of the way. <laughs> and he said, come on, go with me. And I spent the rest of the afternoon with the VP. And, and it means something having that Michigan yeah. amazing blue blood, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't go away. It was, I tell you what, it was a, it was a, it was a great feeling. And uh, he would, he took me places, and I met people you wouldn't meet on the street. Well, winning that award by the Big Ten, that's big time. Yeah. yeah. And you deserve it for all you've done in the community. Well, I, I tell you what, we started doing it, and um, I, I, I go back, and I just think about the people that helped me along the way. And um, there was just something that I saw growing up, and I thought, well, one day I'll have to do that. And lo and behold, you know, it uh, it's happened, and it's a good thing. I've known you for fifty years, believe it or not. Believe, believe not. Love you, man. I mean, we've 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 had we've had and, a great and, time. And yes, we have uh, all through college when we came in as freshmen, and we had to run on Ferry Field and all that stuff. But as a teammate and as a friend, and I've followed you all along. We couldn't be more proud of what you've done, and what you brought to Michigan. Yeah, it, well, you know, it's. It's, if you can do it, do it. You know, uh, lead, follow, get the hell out of the way. By all means, please do something. And uh, that's just my my attitude. Thanks, Reggie. Do good anytime. <laughs> Reggie's commitment to his community has been one of the things I most admire about him. As a young man, he decided he was going to help others, and he followed through with it. His Reggie McKenzie Foundation has been a lifesaver for hundreds of young people over the years, all thanks to Reggie McKenzie and his crew. Well done, Reg. Be sure to keep an eye on my Facebook page, Jim Brandstatter76, my Twitter account, at Jim Brandstatter, and visit thebrandyshow.com for more information on episodes of Conversations With.